Bilson was a camp of horrors, and those responsible deserved to be tried, to be tried fairly. The evidence which Brigadier Glyn Hughes gave made that less likely. In another podcast in this series, I have described the trial which took place after the British liberated Belson concentration camp on the 15th of April, 1945. When they entered that camp, the conditions were unutterably appalling. 10,000 bodies were lying unburied, and 30,000 inmates were living in deplorable conditions. Many were barely alive. There was no water, no sanitation. Thousands of prisoners were malnourished, if not actually starving, and disease was rampant. It was a scene crying out to the heavens for recognition and for justice to be done. The people responsible had to be brought to account and punished. The easiest targets for this exercise of justice were, of course, the people ready to hand, the camp personnel, and accordingly the camp commandant, Joseph Kramer, and 44 of his colleagues were put on trial in September before a British military tribunal. The case for the prosecution was that the inmates had been deliberately ill-treated, in part by the failure of the defendants to take actions which would have helped them. The most serious of the diseases in the camp was undoubtedly typhus, which had been introduced with the arrival of some Hungarian prisoners on the 5th of February. Without treatment, an infected person was likely to die. The disease was also easily transmissible and could have infected not only those within the camp, prisoners, the SS guards and the British, but if it had escaped, it might also have swept through the countryside with disastrous consequences for the civilian population. It was indisputable that Kramer had not taken adequate measures to control the outbreak. Of course, that in itself was not enough to prove him guilty of ill-treatment, which is what the prosecution wished to do. If putting an end to the epidemic had been an extremely difficult task, perhaps requiring large numbers of personnel or special equipment, and if Kramer did not have these and could not have obtained them, then he could hardly be held guilty. But the reverse was also true. The easier the task, the greater and more reprehensible would have been his failure to take action. An important witness for the prosecution was Brigadier Hugh Glyn Hughes, a large rugby-playing Welshman who had been a general practitioner, that is, a local doctor, before the war, and incidentally was the most decorated British medic to serve in the Second World War. In April, he was Deputy Director Medical Services of Britain's Second Army, and became responsible for medical care in Belson on its liberation. He entered the camp on the first day and joined the newly appointed British camp commandant, Lieutenant Colonel Taylor, as he was questioning Kramer. Glyn Hughes very quickly put into operation a plan which would eventually eradicate all the communicable diseases and treat those who were ill. It was a mammoth task, but it was successful. On the second day of the trial, he went into the witness box and was asked, and here I quote from the trial transcript, When you refer to what was available from German sources, do you mean sources available to the Wehrmacht, 
or sources available to Belson Camp. He replied, In Belson Camp, Kramer had many more men. We stamped out the outbreak of Typhus within a fortnight of arriving with 68 men. He had many more men available than that. A fortnight is, of course, 14 days. But that statement was false. The British arrived on the 15th of April, and Glyn Hughes was claiming that Typhus had been stamped out by the 29th or so of that month. By stamp out, he might have meant either that the disease was no longer present in Belson, in the way that if a forest fire is stamped out, there is no longer anything burning in the forest, or that all transmission of the disease had ceased, and the epidemic was therefore condemned to disappear. But neither was true. As part of the relief effort, just under a hundred medical students were brought to Belson from London to help out. They arrived at the camp and were briefed on their work on the 2nd of May, and they were back in London on the 29th. Despite being inoculated against typhus, seven returned to the UK with, or having had, that disease. Now, if seven medical students were catching typhus in the camp in May, it cannot properly be claimed that the disease had been eradicated in April, and I doubt that the medical students were alone in catching the disease. Sixty German nurses were drafted in to help treat the inmates, and of these, 42 became infected. Of course, it is entirely possible that they were all infected before the 30th of April, but that seems unlikely. An interesting question therefore arises. Was Glyn Hughes aware of the typhus cases in May? I believe he must certainly have been. The incubation period for typhus is between one and two weeks. Those students who caught the disease were most likely to have been infected towards the start of their stay in Belson, when the disease was more widespread, than towards the end, when it was on the wane, or perhaps even non-existent. Accordingly, it is very likely that some, if not all, of the seven cases were symptomatic while they were still in Germany. And the fact that some of the students were suffering from the disease must surely have been known both to the senior medical staff and to Glyn Hughes. After VE Day on the 8th of May, Glyn Hughes was appointed Deputy Medical Director, British Army of the Rhine. Belson was a colossal medical undertaking, involving the construction of the largest hospital in Europe at the time, with 7,000 beds, and it was the responsibility of the British Army. Glyn Hughes was therefore professionally bound to take great interest in it, and that interest would have included being aware of the progress of the typhus eradication programme. I believe that it would strain credulity to suggest that in all the inquiries he made about Belson, and that in all the reports he received from Belson, there was never any mention of the continuing epidemic. Indeed, Glyn Hughes should have been aware of the situation at first hand, he kept in very close contact with the camp. He was at Belson for most of the first four days after its liberation, and then, as he told the court, in the month or so until the huts were ceremonially burnt down on the 21st of May, I do not suppose more than one day passed without me going there for some time. I remind you that typhus is a very dangerous disease. Army commanders are said to fear it more than bullets, and the German colonel Karl Harries 
surrendered the camp to the British without a fight in order to avoid the possibility of the disease escaping the camp and infecting both armies and the civilian population. Against that background, to suggest that Glyn Hughes had insufficient interest or lacked the opportunity to acquaint himself with the progress of the eradication campaign is unbelievable. What is therefore clear is that Glyn Hughes misled the court. He told the court that the disease had been eradicated in two weeks, when in truth it had taken perhaps two or three times longer. For that I can offer no excuse, but I can offer an explanation. When the British arrived, they recognised that most inmates were lousy, and they knew that typhus was spread by lice. On the 22nd of April, and with the help of an American doctor who was an expert in typhus control, Captain William A. Davis, they started a programme to eradicate the disease by spraying everyone, 30,000 people, with DDT. They hoped and expected that by so doing they would destroy the vector of transmission of the disease and thereby eradicate it. The spraying programme was completed on the 30th of April, and this may be why that date appears to have been fixed in Glyn Hughes's mind. Of course, the 30th of April was only the date by which everyone hoped all transmission would cease. That was the hope, but not all hopes are realised. Glyn Hughes's views and comments carried great weight with the court. He held specialist qualifications and was of senior rank. Buoyed by that authority, he gave the court to understand that clearing the camp of typhus was a relatively minor task, one which could have been performed by the Germans, as it had been by the British, with 68 men in 14 days. And he made no mention of the fact that the success which the British eventually achieved was due in very large part to an adequate supply of DDT, which the German camp staff did not have. With his answer, he did two things. He understated the difficulty of the challenge, and he overstated the gravity of the offence with which the defendants had been charged. That was not fair, and Kramer was hanged. 